I don't know about behind you. In my experience, nothing is ever behind anyone. Oxford has vanished. I remember saying, all that stuff. It seems so mysterious to me now. You know, Connor almost gave me a way of thinking. It was like the world was going to go our way at last. It might still, she said. We would fight all the spite and shame of the world. I told her I was looking forward now to a quiet ministry in Blackpool. Maybe that will be my tribute to Connor, I said. Just working in an ordinary parish and greeting the faith of ordinary people. You've always been addicted to sweet thoughts, she said. But I advise you to put your faith in strangers. Sometimes it's nice to be on the surface of things. Not easy for a priest, I said. She paused to lick her finger and dab some grains of sugar from the corner of her mouth. Her watch said twenty past five, and it gleamed as she reapplied her makeup. Just don't forget your way back. No, I said, I won't. People passed outside in the rain. I could see them stooped beneath their umbrellas, voyaging home, wrapped in privacy. I suppose you belong to Lancashire, she said. But there is always a place for you here. I know. I lifted my cup. But here's to the south. We go where we must go to find the right weather, don't we, Mother? Oh, yes, she said. If we have the wings, that is what we do. Just keep your scarf round your neck and your phone number's handy. You're so practical, Mother. I know, she said with a lipstick smile. But what else is there? Chapter One Sundial One is never prepared for the manner in which home changes over time. That tea room was twenty-nine years ago. Scotland was my mother's world, and my years in Blackpool were spent in pastoral oblivion, a kind of homelessness which has followed me everywhere. Lancashire was the place where I grew up, my father's world, but serving there as a parish priest provided me with nothing much greater than the small comforts afforded in my line by the habits of duty. I wanted to add something new to my mother's life. She had always been so original, so full of words, so ready with money, the distances between us being no bar to her encouragement of me, her enjoyment of our hard-hearted jokes. But she was growing old, I thought we might do more laughing together and visit the places she liked. The year before last, I came back and took charge of a small Ayrshire parish to see her, to be close to her, and though I can hardly say that the move was made in heaven. Troubles like mine begin as they end, in a thousand places, but my year in that Scottish parish would serve to unlock everything. There is no other way of putting the matter... Dalgarnock seems now like the central place in a story I had known all along. As if each year and each quiet hour of my professional life had only been preparation for the darkness of that town, where hope is like a harebell ringing at night. It all began to happen on Good Friday. The rectory was pleasant and well-groomed, and my housekeeper, Mrs. Poole, brought two large bowls of lettuce soup to the sitting-room table. I had just come back from the second service of the day, 
feeling tired, with a heaviness in my legs that made me wonder if I wasn't aging rather badly. It is not always easy to know the difference between religious passion and exalted grief. I felt Mrs. Poole was watching me and ready to say a number of things, but the light of the chapel still glowered in my head, willing me to regret the need for human contact and the niceties of lunch. Mrs. Poole was in her most efficient mode, and soon had me smiling. After several months in Dalgarnock, I noticed she was more at home in the rectory than one would have expected. She loved it there, loved what she called the feel of the house, and her admiration was particularly drawn to the presence of numerous clocks and books and second-rate pictures, the stuff of my own past. You've a bit of an education up your sleeve, father. That's the thing. When people have been places you can just tell. What a hell.